0: I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelts save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or tick it.
1: I think the next question. So we've got about half an hour left. We'll okay, try and full, see what we've full, got. Let's see um, what we can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next main bit was like, like your Christian journey as well. So um, yeah. With this podcast, the great thing about it is you know mental health is something that we all struggle with regardless of what we believe in or what cultural background we come from. Um, and so I mean I had one another one other conversation with two other friends of mine on this podcast so far about how their faith in Jesus has helped them navigate manhood and um, their self-identity as black men. Um, Without us getting too deep into this bit, kind of, if you could summarise kind of um, how your Christian upbringing kind of helped you to also um, take, I guess, better care of yourself. Um, So even whilst you're doing the therapy um, in your um early 30s like Mm. how did your spiritual life kind of um merge with that was was there a bit of conflict or what did did you find that it just helped it just all came
0: together i became a christian in my early 20s and it was Mm. it was a moment in my life where i wouldn't have diagnosed it at the time but i think i was depressed um Mm. so i came out of university off the back of my grandma passing away and not really being able to get a, uh, a job as quickly as I would have expected, um, mm. which is interesting because I just read a statistic that a black people have to apply um, almost, uh, I think it's like five times more for jobs than white people. To get an interview or something like that and that would be my experience when i was came out of uni so i, I was in a place where i was like oh man i was drinking a lot more you know mm. coming out of the university kind of sort of like culture and mm. i just what well, did you study at uni just out of interest um so i did business studies and english literature oh, okay um and i think i was just not in a good place and then basically i came out and I started seeing a girl and when we ended up doing an alpha course together and it was at that moment I found, like I grew up in a Christian home but I didn't understand my relationship with Jesus mm. and I think at that moment everything just kind of clicked for me. Um, I understood who I was. I understood I was loved and I understood just there was just a lot of selfishness in me which kind of just disappeared very quickly and I think mm. my eyes open to what was going on around me in my community and therefore my empathy and compassion just grew massively in a way it wasn't before. Um, So with that being said, in my formative years, in my twenties, I had some really good people around me who took me under their wing and really kind of discipled me and helped me to understand the Bible and read the Bible and prayed with me and prayed for me. And all that was therapy. Really, that was all, that was good people getting alongside me yeah. and and showing me the ropes and mentoring yeah. me. And it was, it was an amazing experience. I think there's a point in any relationship where you then mature and then you start not just being fed stuff, you start looking for yourself. And I think by the time I hit my early thirties and I'm leading the church at this point, I'm one of the leaders in a church, I'm just beginning to question some stuff. I'm just beginning to question um, why a particular type of leader is getting more opportunities and why does church seem mm. to be very monocultural in its approach and why are certain people not feeling like they're engaged? and Why do we do worship music in this particular way? But probably the biggest thing was yo, it doesn't really feel like the church is engaging with this, the issues of the streets. Yeah. So why is the church not talking about knife crime, youth violence, gang culture? Why is the church not really talking about racism? Why is the church not really talking about the things which I know are impacting young people's and families' lives in the borough that you are um, engaging with? Why does your church not reflect the very borough that you're in? That type yeah. of stuff, you know what I mean? And that's when I, I, I I suppose God was just doing some stuff in me which was preparing me for where we are now. So yeah. church helped but church also made me start questioning a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's like yeah, church, yeah. church mean, was the answer and also the question. a question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it. I mean that's the thing about I think that's just life in general like when, you know, every community has its benefits but also things that it can improve on as well and I think for me I've been fortunate I I, my back, I come from a Ghanaian family and mm. um, we've all I've the way I've been brought up is just always been able to make a good thing out of a bad thing basically um, and so like I, I love my family and um, you know, sometimes, you know, you have your fallouts, you have, um, my, my family is quite big. Right. So you've got a massive family, which is a blessing, but with a big family also comes its own fair share of disagreements and fallouts, you know, but it's kind of learning to appreciate. And, and I think that's the good thing about having a faith in general, but especially Christianity is that you're, you've got a bigger picture to look at. Mm. So Um, it's not just a bunch of mess you're going through. There's something bigger that is happening behind the mess, which kind of keeps you going in a sense. And do you feel like your faith in Jesus kind of helped you still hold on to the church in a sense and not give up on the church? I I don't know if you've ever felt like, um, you've had a moment where you found it hard to get along with, um your local church in certain ways and maybe it was your faith that motivated you I
0: think there's always moments if you're in, if you're invested into something particularly the local church mm. right anything whether it's even a, a relationship there's always yeah. moments when you will question whether you're in the right place and anybody who says they don't <laughs> it's like that like you're lying there's, there's mm. definitely a moment and I, so I think there's times that, in a church context where you because it's a family like you said it's a family mm. it's and you know what you've just described with your family, there's times when it's good and sometimes it's bad, but your church family, your, um, the commonality is that you, you all love Jesus and it's brilliant. But then there's also times when there's there's, there's differences, which you have to kind of address. Yep. And I don't know if it's always happened. I don't always think that actually we've had those safe spaces to have a conversation. So if microaggressions happen or racism happens or little things and you're like, yo, what was that? Was that just my mind Mm. or, and I can think back to tons of times where I just let things slide. Mm. Mainly because I didn't have the language or if I tried to say something, I'm gonna get accused of being an angry black person. You know what I mean? Or chip on his shoulder or he's aggressive. No, I'm none of those things, but I do wanna know what you mean. So for me, there's been times when if I, so let me be really brutally honest. When mm. I started writing the book, I knew, I didn't know whether I was still gonna be a Christian at the end of it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a bit like, there's a lot of things at that, that particular point I was just angry about, mm. but I was also I probably, now angry is not right the right word. I just had questions. I was just kind of like, I keep coming back to some of these questions. Mm. Like the this the, the the way the church doesn't want to engage with race, yeah. the transatlantic. Did you
1: find the writing of the book in a way quite therapeutic? Did you feel like you were getting some stuff out of your system? In a sense, no.
0: I found the writing of the book painful. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> really, really painful. It was so I can look back and say I'm glad I went through that process, um, mm. and I got a lot. It was therapeutic in the sense that it had gave me an opportunity for the first time to uh, ask the questions I needed to ask and also order my thoughts. So I was like, Mm. okay, I can explore different perspectives in peace without anybody trying to pressure me and allowing me and God to wrestle this stuff out. Like, what does that really mean? And I'm going to say some stuff and I don't even know if it's right, but let me prayerfully just check this. And we and him going back and forth for a year when I wrote, I wrote the book in a year. So it was that, it was that kind of crazy situation where I wrote the book in, in a year and it was like, okay, in that year, we're gonna have it out. And there were moments when my wife would come in and I was just, she'd be like, oh, how did you, cause I, I basically gave myself a Thursday. Um, uh, every, so for tw- all the 2018 from January to December, I wrote, I only dedicated one day of the week to the writing the book. So that was a mm. that was a Thursday. So every Thursday, I'd, you know, the kids would be at school, and I'd be ready to sort of like, crack in, and um, yeah, it was it was really hard. There were times when I just didn't write anything because it was just so difficult. Um, mm. and other times it was really free flowing. So, um, was it your first book as well? Is it yeah, number one, book? maybe my only one. Who knows? But um, mm. it's but yeah, it was my first book, and it was it was it was. I just had to trust God in it, but it was definitely now more than ever. I'm just calm. I'm just like, everything yeah. I wanted to say about racism is in that book.
1: Yeah. And, and people for the most part seem to be receiving it well. Yeah. yeah, yeah A whole yeah. range of people, Justin Welby, Governor B, a whole bunch of people who are very knowledgeable in their fields in regards to this topic and some related topics as well. Yeah. So um, what's, what's the feedback done for you and, have there has there been some negative feedback as well?
0: Of course, because not everybody yeah. I, I So I think the feedback's been largely great, and I think people have been very supportive. Um, and I think I've connected in with black Christians who have gone through some black Christians who've gone through stuff. Mm. I think from white people, it's been really, really interesting that, that people I think I can put the book in two phases. There's pre-George Floyd and post-George Floyd and the pre-George Floyd was very much like ah oh, cool yeah you've we've, we've written this book about race that's nice you know oh, okay yeah let me look into that okay cool oh yeah 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 no racism right and everybody was being very polite and it's all nice then post-George Floyd, whoa, you've written a book about race and this is needed. Oh my goodness, I've got to read this. This is the book I need to read because this is really helping. And it's just like, whoa, okay, the intensity is just crazy. It's the same book, but mm. it's, just in, it's now looked at in a slightly different lens. Mm. I think prior to it, it was like, oh, that's a nice addition to the bookshelf. I'll get round to read it. Mm. Now it's like, I have to read this book because hopefully if I'm a church leader or I'm in a church context, this is going to give me yeah. some, some animation, some type of... Um, support some type of um, resource and guidance to how we work yeah. with this issue. So that's been quite interesting. Me, just like I'm, mm. so I'm the same guy, you know. Um, what do you think it is about this
1: George Floyd situation, particularly that's been such a monumental moment? Like, yeah i
0: mean that's a massive question so, like, that is a massive question i, mean, so, I, I think yeah. there's a there's like the practical realities that he died at a time when everybody was locked down mm. so it's not the first time where Probably, everybody yeah. like black people had been killed by the police in america and it's been filmed but i think this mm. time it was like the whole world had nothing to do it was like we were at home we were on we were lockdown and it's like oh wow mm. actually i think it, but i think also if i'm being honest it felt this felt like the other stuff was horrific, but this was just on a, on a level which was like just brutal. Like it was, yeah, it was just yeah. sustained brutality. Yes. Evil. And the the guy was not getting his knee off his neck, even when he, mm. he the guy was dead. It was just like, this is, this is a next level of evil when it comes to how you, we've seen police brutality. So I think also there's moments, I think where people, it, it catches the, the heart of, of people. I think it's a God yeah. dynamic in it. I, if I'm honest, I think mm-hmm. um, there's verses in Exodus two, mm-hmm. before Moses goes to to set his people free, where Mo, uh, God says, uh, you know, the Hebrews are enslaved. And then there's this line, it's throwing line where it just says God saw and God knew. And like God mm. saw and God knew, and it was almost a bit like, and then Moses comes on the scene and does what Moses does. So it's almost like I think with George Floyd, there was all this stuff which was going on prior to it, but yeah. there was something about this which just tipped a bit of a turning point. Yeah, it turned I mean, to it it, yeah. it tipped God into action. Like mm. God never sleeps, but it's his yeah. timing, it's, it's the sovereignty of God when he decides. And I think this was the one where it was almost like, all right, you know what? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, a, this is it, it's a turning point. It's mm-hmm. what the Greek word kairos, which basically means a, a monumental moment. So mm-hmm. I, I'm calling this a kairos moment. And you can just tell by the reaction, I've never seen anything like it. And, I, and I'll tell you R- why oh, it's really important What why I'm saying that, because a lot mm-hmm. of times we've seen this stuff happen before, but so what I yeah. did, I went and spoke to my parents and I said to my parents and older people, look, you've lived through mm. civil rights, you've gone mm. through apartheid, you've gone through Stephen Lawrence, you've gone through National Front, BNP, EDL, you've gone through, you know, UK May, Ridden Rush, everything. You've seen all this mm. stuff. Tell me right now, is this moment of George Floyd different to anything you've seen? And when they turn around to me and say, yes, Ben, and we can honestly say that this is something completely different mm. to what we've ever seen the sustained approach, the, the conversation, the the broad conversation. I think that's the thing. Normally this conversation is in isolation of something else where this is across the board. Every institution is having to have this conversation. Mm. Every institution, whether it's the corporates, the banks, the churches, yeah. the schools, the police, everyone you, you can think of, every sector of society is having to have the question, where do we stand when it comes to racism and racial injustice? Sky sports. Mm. You know, when have you ever seen people kneeling in a football match and all this type yeah. of stuff?
1: It's it's blackout Tuesday. It's a,
0: <laughs> listen, it's a monumental <laughs> and it's a monumental conversation, and it's not going anywhere. Mm. So for me, I, I know this is this is a this is more serious than I've ever experienced, and it's more sustained. And I think this is God making um, and helping us to see that there is a true the evil of racism, mm. and He's moving. I think He's moving. Mm.
1: Wow. Uh, I've just realized <laughs> I also wanted to ask how power the fight came about, but particularly that's pro- there's probably another epic story behind that as well. <laughs> but espe- specifically, let's dive into your experience in helping young black boys um, because yeah. uh, knife crime, I guess, mostly affects um, young men or young boys. Well, what what sort of age group typically are we looking at when we look at knife crime?
0: Yeah. So I think it's interesting, let's, let's, let's straight, straighten this mm. out for starters. So I think, I know it might of 20 years of working mm. in this field that youth violence, knife crime, violence, which affects young, mm-hmm. young people, um, isn't a no. black issue. Yeah. What I will say in a London context is that the issue of violence, which affects young people disproportionately impacts black and brown communities. But if you go to Liverpool, it's yeah, not a black Scotland. issue. You go to Birmingham, it's an Asian issue. You go to Manchester, you know, there's different places. And county lines, you know, where people are setting up drug lines across the country, you know, that can be white, black, brown, it can be anybody, you know. So it's not a black issue. But in the context of London, it disproportionately impacts black people. So um, I've worked with a lot of young young boys, young girls as well, predominantly black young girls, but I've also had white boys and girls engage in this issue mm-hmm. as well. And it's something which um, started for me back in 2000, working in Clapham mm-hmm. Park, um, and and then it moved into different areas around London. And then when I was working for the Youth Offending Service, I was engaging with young people and so on and so on. It was 2016 when we lost a young man called Marvin Yard in, mm-hmm. in New Cross. Um, and yeah, he he was somebody who his family I knew very well. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know what, I'm kind of sick mm. of this. It's something different needs to be done. And what needs to be done is not just the superficial stuff. Let's have a youth club there or youth club here. No, can we do something which is gonna actually impact the structures and the systems which perpetuate this type of stuff in the first place? Can we train? anybody to be part of the solution? Can we create, co produced co-design responses? Can we look at therapy? Can we support families uh, in like a wraparound service? Can we train and equip people? Can we do workshops? Can we get some of the best practitioners in the country to train and equip anybody engaging mm. with this issue? All these things which are more about system mm. change um, and systemic change and structural change um, than just a six-week program here, there and anywhere you know, and that's where power to fight came from. It's called power to fight because um, basically we can fight the power of this evil all day long, mm. but how are we actually empowering people to be part mm. of the solution? And for me, that's what I want about. I want the word fight isn't yeah. negative. It, we're fighting against injustice. We're fighting against inequality. Um, we're fighting to keep young people mm. alive, but how you power that, how you equip people, how you educate mm. people, um, is going to be really the, the 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 be all and end all of whether we actually crack yeah. this thing. So that's part of the fight. Um, when it comes to the mental health of young people, as I said earlier on, working for a mental health charity that was really interesting for me and really mm. important just to begin to see some of the stuff which we we mm. carry. For one of the most dangerous things I've seen with young people is the is drugs. So stuff like skunk is really is yeah. really really quite detrimental. Mm to To young people and brings on can bring on psychosis and stuff, um, and I think being a young black boy and a young black mm-hmm. girl in in um in an inner city context is very tricky because you got to navigate all these different things. I think you got to navigate street life, um, and that could be doesn't even have to be. Oh, you're you know, yeah. Gang warfare. Yeah. I'm talking about sometimes you're driving your car and some brother cuts you up and you've got to make a decision in that moment whether you're going to snap back.
1: Yeah.
0: And that can be as stressful as anything because it's like if you snap back and that person's not, mm. you know, if he's on it, then you're suddenly you find yourself in a street mm. situation. So that's before you get into stop and search as a young black man, we're nine to one more likely to be stopped and searched. Um. And then that's before we start talking about just this ongoing conversation of racism, how the school system sees us, how the education system sees us, Uh, university Exclusion rates as well and stuff like that. Yeah, exclusion is like three to one black black Caribbean boys Mm. uh, are more likely to be excluded. Exclusion rates through the country is through the roof, you know. Um, so all these things that young black boys and girls have to navigate is really, 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 really unique. And there's a culture and a competency, which really needs to happen for us to kind of change some of this stuff. Mm.
1: So let's see what we've got here. We, I'll say, so that sum, summarises that sort of um, the need. So you've seen this need of, um, so I guess power of the fight, is more about equipping those on the front line. Um, would you say it's mostly equipping those who are on the front, working on the front line or how much of it is actually directly you interacting with the young people?
0: Yeah, so I think it's both. So I oh, think okay. we we equip people on the front line, but we're now about to do, um, unleash a therapeutic service for young people and families. Oh, that's cool. Called TIP. Mm. So the therapeutic intervention model for peace mm. is effectively culturally competent therapists mm. um, engaging with young people who Um, have been impacted by youth violence and families who have been impacted by youth violence so that's our direct link Mm. and we're just we put a report out which people can hopefully you can maybe put a link to it yeah i can do that um, called the tip tip report on our website and that gives you a model of of how we do culturally competent therapy and we're looking to be piloting that in a couple of boroughs in london um over the next kind of six months so Mm yeah we're in a good place it's, 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 it's a needed thing awesome
1: and so just to summarize like from your perspective what improvements are we yet to see in uk churches and this is a very deep question but what what would you like to see uk churches doing more to better help i guess i've put black boys slash men with their mental spiritual health um, so all, oh, <laughs> that's a yeah, very rich yeah, question yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, sure. if you want to maybe maybe at least just unpick one part of that
0: question if you yeah prefer. okay so I think and this probably goes across the board whether it's black men mm. yeah, black yeah. women like whether it's older younger what we have to do is create spaces mm. for conversations yeah and for experiences, which is different from the majority culture. Mm. And we are to create those spaces so we can listen and white people can be more empathetic um, and more compassionate to the black experience. Mm. But The black experience, your black experience as a 22 year old is different to my black experience as a 42 year old. Mm. Both are valid, both are important, both need space. So we're not a monolith. We can't just put everything into one box. But those intergenerational conversations are really important. So we've got to hear your perspective and my perspective and a female perspective Mm. and a working class black person and a middle class black person because we're all going to live different experiences, even if we are all joined by skin color, Mm. you know. So we've really got to get into that. It's massively important. But I think creating those safe spaces. I think there's a second piece but well, we've got to look at the representation in these churches. Do they mm-hmm. reflect the community that you're serving? And I think there's a whole other conversation about mm-hmm. that and leadership representation. But I think what the George Floyd situation has brought to the forefront is that black voices, black and brown voices are not being heard, mm-hmm. um, not being listened to. And I think that needs to be improved. Mm.
1: Okay. I think we'll end it there. And, um, that, that hour went by very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. Yeah, this very. will make two episodes worth of very rich content. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, wow. Ben, for joining me. Um, this means a lot um, because I'm at a very early stage in terms of trying to do the little I can to create safe spaces for conversation, like you said. Um, and so, yeah, to have you on board at this early stage in my podcast, this means a lot. It means that, wow. you know, this... <clears throat> people do need these conversations and uh, I'm going to keep going yeah so thank you
0: keep going and um, God bless you bro
1: thank you and yeah we'll definitely stay in touch Um, yeah definitely yeah and so all those listening once again please feel free to uh, buy Ben's book I think it's a great resource whether you're part of the church or not and um, yeah and again like Let me know how this podcast is impacting you. Send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Nathadae, N-A-T-H underscore D -D A I. That's the platform I'm most active on. Um, So yeah, just message me there. Let me know how this podcast is impacting you. And if you know any other people who who you think might be a great fit for the podcast, um, suggest them to me as well and I'll see if I can get in touch with them. Also, this is officially the last episode of season one yep it's been a quite a meaty season um season one um has been 22 episodes long including this episode um and so thank you to all of the people who have been listening so far like man this podcasting stuff isn't easy um especially when it seems like not many people are paying attention but Um, I I appreciate every single DM that every person has sent um, to let me know how this podcast is empowering and inspiring them to really open up about mental health, particularly within the black community. So this is awesome stuff. Great to hear. Um, Yeah, so we'll be back with season two in probably February or March next year. Um, But by that time, I have great news. By that time, I would have finished um, my short film, Mental Roots, which is the same name as this podcast. And it's just the short film that I've been doing with new creatives, rural media, new creatives. And uh, it's a short animated film which I'm making based on all these real experiences that we've been talking about in the podcast so far. Um, And so we're about to start production as of the time I'm recording this. Um, But yeah, by the time we enter season 2 The film will be done It will be on BBC iPlayer I think it will will be online somewhere For you to watch um, courtesy of the BBC And we'll see how far this film goes You know, we'll see what doors it opens for me In terms of reaching people And I don't know if One Extra will kind of co-sign it I don't know, we'll see what happens But we'll talk about all of that in season two when all everything has been done the film is out and people will be receiving it so i'll talk about how the animation was made and kind of my next steps in kind of broadening the conversation on mental health particularly black men's mental health thank you so much for the support and i wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year and i'll see you in some months down the line peace
0: I'm Robert Conte, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together, we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or
1: tick it.